to Schoolhouse Cracked. As always with me is Mr. Brett Derrickson, longtime teacher, veteran administrator, school leader, and educational thought provoker. And here I am with Dr. Marcus Motorchandler, my good friend and colleague, and uh, the man who is helping raise up the next generation of guidance counselors and educators, looking into the tough issues with people at the beginnings of their career and sharing with them the things that he's done and the things that we've researched and that we've talked about. So thank you for your expertise and for sharing this moment with me. Right. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. So as always, find us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and find us on any of the popular podcast uh, channels where you find your favorite podcasts. Um, so uh, today, Brett, we're going to get into a topic that really has been in the public domain for for several years. Um, but the the nature of the conversation has changed pretty pretty dramatically over those years, and it's uh, the impact of COVID on schools and, and what COVID in schools in the fall might look like. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, before uh, before you tell your uh, story from the trenches, which is uh, uh, important for our audience to hear, I think it's one of those kind of moments in time that everybody who listens and thinks about this is going to have their own version of what mm -hmm. you're going to share. I'll just say this. My son got back from Arizona playing baseball. He comes back from playing baseball, and there's a COVID outbreak on his team. It's uh, it's July 12th mm -hmm. today, and uh, families and kids coming back with COVID uh, sick. Um, not the kind of illness that, that had us, uh, you know, in, in prayer and petition when we heard our, our colleagues and, and students and families get sick. Uh, a year Shutting ago. Shutting down, filling hospitals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but definitely the, the kind that disturbs life and, and makes the uh, COVID and its variants uh, real again. And here we are now, maybe not getting a chance to play in the state baseball tournament coming up. And that's just all to say, uh, it's the middle of the summertime, and we haven't gone into the schoolhouses yet, mm -hmm. and we haven't been packed into our rooms, our hallways, our gymnasiums, and our cafeterias. Do you mind sharing your story? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, I, this is a story I thought about sharing when we decided to talk about this episode based off some audience feedback. And uh, and it ended up being timely because I, I, I knew this had just happened with your son. I didn't know the details. Um, but, it, you know, one of the things that, that is a bit of a soapbox issue for me is, you know, we've been hearing as public educators and parents, I know you've been hearing it too, is learning loss. Like we've been, our kids are learning all, or are losing all this learning from either school closures or, um, or, or periods of time on remote learning. And, and I want to circle back even to before learning loss. And, um, you know, early in the pandemic, we as educators didn't know a whole lot about what this would look like in schools. We shut down in March. Um, but before March, uh, it, it was the day before spring break for my school where I was a principal. And, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of information. It was still all relatively new. And I remember having a, a meeting, an emergency meeting after school on Wednesday uh, in March um, where nobody shut down yet, but we had these fears. Nobody really knew what was going on. And I told the staff, like, hey, um, I don't want you to start planning all these different contingencies. I, I, I loved my staff. They were excellent teachers, excellent planners. But I also knew that in, in the light of, a, of an unforeseen event, they would go into planning mode to support our children. And the intent was absolutely positive. But I told them, I don't want you planning lessons that you may be sending home via mail or emailing or, or doing online. Like, we don't know what this is going to look like. I want you to be present for your children. Um, that's the most important thing right now because they don't know what life's going to look like. And so that connection is ultimately going to be carry is going to carry them through whatever comes next. And none of us knew Thursday happens. We get a little bit more information. I told them the same thing. Um, 
be there for your kids. You know, Friday, they go on spring break. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, we'd like to see them back. We don't know if we're going to see them back. Then Friday morning before spring break, we get the notification. The state and the nation is shutting down. And so, um, you know, I communicated to the staff, connect with your kids. I don't, I really don't care if you get through your math lesson for the day. I don't care if you had a test scheduled, focus on the kids, focus on the kids. And, and in that moment, knowing that we were closing in the middle of March, I had no idea when I would see my staff again in person. And I had no idea when I would see my students in person. And I, I tell you, I, I, I like to think I'm very in touch with my emotions, but I'm not an outwardly emotive person. And I was in tears in front of my staff. Um, and, and I will tell you that the connections that staff had with their kids and focusing on rapport and relationships is what carried them through that fourth quarter of just schools closing and doing everything remote. Um, and, and that goes into a lot of the research we're seeing when we start to talk about learning loss. The other thing I want to, I want to well, actually, the, before we get into the actual details of the articles, um, I, I know you had kind of a similar experience in a different role, um, but the, the human nature and the human impact of essentially suffering an, a, a worldwide, a nationwide, a community-wide trauma, whether a microtrauma or macro trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic is something we're still seeing the outcomes with in children in classrooms, of teachers in their instruction of classrooms. Um, so what, Brett, what are you seeing in, in regard to the ways in which we're, we're supporting kids, we're supporting teachers, and we're really trying to listen to parents' concerns about their students? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, you're asking about all the stakeholders in, in one uh, question, and it really goes back fundamentally to why you and I exist in this podcast. One of the things that you and I have come to know through our different roles, uh, whether it's me and coaching and being a parent and being a, a terrible student and then a, <laughs> a, a, yeah. a teacher and a leader, or you and your background as a, a school psychologist and or, or having studied psychology and a school counselor, is that the community leans on schools a lot. <clears throat> Yes, for, for any number of things. For, so. yeah, for, for everything mm -hmm. is what it, it, it is. Uh, I'm going to say that as a fact. Mm -hmm. You know, I just drove past a school in our community that has a, a, a medical center uh, in a low-income area yep. in, inside the school. Yeah. Um, we have families calling us up and, and saying, hey, you know, I, uh, you know, we have software on our computers and, our, our, you know, it's been flagging that my students on these sites, what do we do when they're interested in these things? Things that I wouldn't have perceived when I got into education that were ever going to be my business. Mm -hmm. We have a school social worker, a school psychologist. We have food pantries. We have food uh, yeah. laundry rooms. Yeah, you know, absolutely. We mm -hmm. have a school. We have a school nurse, uh, which is something that uh, we didn't have in secondary schools mm -hmm. uh, when I started. But Schoolhouse Cracked is about us looking at the foundations of schools, getting into those tough places, and allowing the audience and ourselves to get into whether how we're going to fix. Uh, those those foundations because the school is a is a cornerstone within our community when you say that though and ask that question to respond to it we forced not we covid put our children and our adults into physical isolation in their homes with the internet and electronics mm. and into a situation where there was very little way that we couldn't get away <laughs> Oh, from screen addiction, mm -hmm. 
first it, became, of all, it became essential to the expectation of learning for yeah, a limited so, period of time. Right. So prior to COVID, it wasn't essential to eight hours of your learning day. Now you had to be on it. Mm. And then our students aren't able to get out and play sports, be part of their activities, or discouraged even from going to their church youth group or, or the park or whatever it is. So now where do we go? Back onto the screen where we're allowing the media to have uh, and whatever you define as media, but media having an impact on our brains, how we think, what we value, so on and so forth. The short answer to the question is we're seeing some strange behaviors. Yep. Uh, I, and I would argue in adults and children. Yeah. A and this isn't a, a judgmental statement because I've seen some strange behaviors in myself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, well, yeah. And just we, in our previous episode where we talked about where the uh, cell phone should be in the classrooms, we, we did discuss how on a, my administrative team, if we're going to take a hard stance on kids not accessing their, their cell phones in the classroom, then we're going to have to tell adults yeah. that they can't be on their cell phones yeah, in the classroom. I can't tell you how many staff meetings I've led as an administrator where I look across the sea, sea of faces, and there's one or two people looking at their phone. And more often than not, it's the same person who, who harps on kids about using their phones. Yeah. And yeah. so there's a level of irony there that I can appreciate, but also I've been guilty of myself. No, but, you know, I, you know to circle around to it, there, there were things that we saw this year as we brought kids back into the 20... For a 100% in-person yeah, school year. For 21-22, yeah. uh, where students uh, were either scared of social interaction mm -hmm. or hyper mm -hmm. in their social interaction. Um, a sexuality component... Mm -hmm. A, uh, well, let's just get to one uh, the uh, audience uh, will be yeah. familiar with the TikTok challenges and the destruction mm. of bathrooms yeah, uh, <laughs> nationwide. I, I've erased that from my memory yeah. already because it was so problematic. No, and in, a, in the final quarter of this school year, mm. and I know this happened across the country too, TikTok challenges and different things where, where kids were videotaping themselves in, in um, <laughs> physical altercations, which we equated to, to fight clubs. Uh, there, there's a whole host of things where our students coming out of the pandemic and our adults coming out of the pandemic um, not knowing how to fulfill themselves mm -hmm. socially, emotionally, and in connection with others. Well, and, and so that that's a great segue, Brett, into kind of another thing that we've been seeing in, in, in media and hearing in our communities and in our schools and even by some school leaders is that kids are behind. And uh, and that's something that we've been hearing now for almost since the start of the pandemic is kids are going to be behind. And, you know, I, I was reading a recent article um, and, and it, it was talking really about that. What metrics do we have to truly prove that kids are behind um, as far as academics goes? You know, the nature of, uh, of academic assessment in our world, it, it fluctuates, you know. Every year, we don't see increased scores on an assessment with a demographic or, or within a school. You'll have years where you're up and years where you're down. And, and it, it, we're, we're citing, nationally, we're citing some of these studies that saying our kids are behind, you know, one and a half years in reading or two and a half years in math, um, what have you. Um, but at the same time, I know in our home state, middle of the pandemic, in the second year of the pandemic, our state SAT scores actually went up. Yeah. And so I academic but deal with the outcomes of behavior that really what what i'm seeing students are behind on is is social emotional uh and behavioral development that is impacting their academics yeah a and how what i've been hearing from some school leaders recently is that we need to throw more curriculum at them we need to throw more formative assessments at them we need to throw more uh learning opportunities or extend the school day a and in that conversation my question is always 
well, that's fine. But then what are we doing to extend their learning socially, emotionally, and behaviorally? Right. The, you know, first of all, just for the audience, learning loss, if you're not familiar with it, is, a, is an umbrella term. It's it's not an official definition. If you look it up uh, in any way, shape, or form, there's not there's not common agreement. No, yeah. and there's there's academic articles written on it. Anything on on media, so on and so forth. Essentially, it means that COVID uh, separated this the student from the regular learning environment long enough that it's anticipated that they didn't learn mm -hmm. the curriculum or the skills that were anticipated during that time period. We started using the word learning loss before we ever had even enough time to, to, define, to, it, yeah. to, to define it or to have assessed if it was even possible yeah. at that time. So, so learning loss is something, a, um, a term I engage in with other educators. It's not a term that I necessarily believe in. And I, and I know that this sounds... And it uh, can mean something different for each educator. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's always going to lead to the question, well, how do you know? Mm -hmm. So I've got two, two little just anecdotes to help you know, us frame the research that, that we'll share. One is that I used to think when I was a soccer coach that there was generational learning loss. I used a whole different term. They didn't watch as much soccer, and they actually didn't the, – the players weren't playing as much pickup. Mm, this was not mm. the onset of, like, like Tecmo back, Bowl. Back in the alley, yeah. Yeah, and what they were doing is they got involved in club, and mm. in the club had really had a huge benefit. It was The players were much more technical than mm. when I grew up playing. Right. They had unbelievable individual skill sets. But I found myself not working as much on the technical skills, but having to t teach the bigger picture of the game mm -hmm. to high school students because they yeah. hadn't experienced the, the... The team interaction, the team dynamic, yes. the flow of the game. Movement yeah. without the ball, so yeah. on and so forth. The whole point is with, with COVID, are there things that students didn't learn because of the time and the, the variables that happened to their learning environment? Probably. On the other side, just like I mentioned about the technical soccer player developed, there's a whole lot of things that they did learn, skill sets and things that they came away with that have given us a chance to springboard out of COVID and wonder a little bit more about what were we trying to learn anyways. Mm -hmm. My own segue into that was we were in a PLC meeting with, with teachers who, who had identified a specific skill and it was writing mm. and the students I, yeah. the students they don't write they can't write they don't want to write everything they're, they're behind in their writing everything ability. was behind they're not going to be ready for high school and so we brought in some some writing samples uh, we had a really good plc and at the end of it you and i looked at each other with essentially two ideas one is there's no loss there they're writing really well mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's all what you're looking for mm -hmm. i was quite uh, happy with the structural and organization of and style of of writing that our and the level of critical thinking yes. and the use of evidence. Abs yeah, absolutely. Ab absolutely, I had no complaints. On the other end of it, I couldn't understand what was meaningful about what they were writing about. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if COVID might be revealing a more critical mm -hmm. child about what they're being engaged in. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, and, and so one of the things that that inevitably came out of taking a, di a, a deeper dive into this over the last year is we, we haven't formally defined learning loss. We basically have informally in, in the community identified it as the quote they're behind, but we also haven't defined what behind means. And so I started to look at the causes of what would have caused behind because I didn't truly believe that remote learning or hybrid learning was the sole perpetrator of quote learning loss and, and you know Brett I watched you lead a really neat 
um, uh, hybrid learning model and, and fully synchronous learning model. That w- it, I mean, the, the, the teachers absolutely killed it. It was a huge ask of the teachers, absolutely. But as a result, that group of students who engaged in that totally synchronous learning and that hybrid learning model that was fully synchronous had a different skill set going into that next grade level that the students who didn't engage in that had. And so, I, th- so your work actually kind of informed my thinking that, you know, the fact they were on Zoom can't be the sole reason that we feel this sense of learning loss. And so one of the things that that drew me to, just as somebody who's constantly looking at, at statistics and numbers, enrollment, assessment data, is uh, just overall enrollment. And, and again, this started anecdotally because I know we've both had students over the last couple of years because of COVID that just simply disenrolled, and we don't know where they went. Yeah. And, and that's a nationwide trend. Um, and, and that could be for a variety of reasons. COVID happened, um, lost a job, we're going to go live with grandma in Texas. Or um, I, I'm concerned about my students' um, uh, exposure to COVID in the school, and I'm going to homeschool them. Or vice versa, I think the school's uh, reaction to COVID is over the top, and I don't want my student to maybe wear a mask. So I'm going to homeschool them, or we're going to go to a charter school, or we're going to go to an online school in another state. And, and so that has impacted enrollment numbers. And so just here in our home state, um, so for example, here in our home state of Colorado, uh, at the height of the pandemic, from, from one school year to another, from, from the pa- first pandemic year to the second pandemic year, our active student enrollment in Colorado dropped by one point, uh, or I'm sorry, by, uh, by one, almost 1.2 million students Jeez. just here. Oh, I'm sorry. I apologize. That's the national statistic. In, in, in nationally, during that pandemic year, we lost 1.2 million students nationally in our school enrollment. Yeah. And so that's that's, so that's children who exist that who had existed in schools yeah. prior who who aren't in a school. Like we can't find them. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's homeschool or they moved or or they're just not actively enrolled in a school. So nationally, between those two years of 2019 to 2020, 2020 to 21, nationally we lost 1.4 million. Uh, in our active enrollment. Obviously, that's not the, all the numbers, right? We yeah. th- we know in public education, the number is always greater than what's published because of things you can't control in the data yeah. set. In Colorado, we saw a similar decline. Um, and, and by 2026, they're projecting a loss of around 40,000 students uh, as a combination of, of the Department of Education and what the Denver Post is reporting. And so that's students that we've lost in the tens of thousands during the pandemic in a state that is not as populous as other states. So, so that tells me that one of the things that I'm concerned about with learning loss is not because the kid was on Zoom for a year. M- my concern is that the kid wasn't physically in any school. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and then that leads me into kind of the next thing that, that I think is highly important and I already mentioned regarding social-emotional learning and, and helping kids learn those skills that they weren't socialized to when they were physically in school is um, if they're not physically in school, Obviously, they're going to be assessing at a lower level. Obviously, their their understanding of content is going to be at a lower level. So if we look at them strictly as a data point on a test, there's going to be, quote, learning loss. But what's informing that learning loss? I would argue, again, it's that social-emotional component and socialization and, and behavior skill development. And one of the things that always stands out to me is that uh, we focus on academics or curriculum implementation. And, and, and there's some you – know, we've talked about it. Uh, 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 a guaranteed viable curriculum is very, very important. But what trumps that is simple things. There's been, there's, there was a study that came out of a, a, a behavioral, uh, student behavior organization um, where students who were greeted at the door of their classroom 
scored at 20% higher on academic achievement scores simply from that one intervention. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's some other variables there, but what are we teaching kids when we greet them at the door? What are we teaching kids in those moments where we're not talking about uh, slope formula? Yeah. Yeah, and, and the this all has been great <laughs> because, I mean, I'm, I, I'm an assistant principal, so this assumption of learning loss uh, has led to the to legislation and federal and state money that we have not seen before. Yeah. It has been uh, wonderful. We have been able to add, and, and not strictly for <laughs> curriculum. That's yeah. true. We have been we have been able to add um, people whose position it is to be experts on child development, yeah. child behavior in our schools. We've been able to add people whose uh, expertise. You were our curriculum and instructional coach uh, last year. That was a a position that had returned mm -hmm. uh, with what you know what we refer to as as COVID money. Uh, the point is, is that there was learning loss before COVID. Yeah, <laughs> there were major concerns yeah, about whether or not we were producing students out of our schools that were uh, career and college ready uh, out of K twelve in general, um, the charter school movement and homeschool opportunities and alternative schools and magnet programs within schools, all of these at least say, hey, there's some, something we're worried about within our, our, our children's public education that was different than our public education. Yeah. And there's a misuse of data, a misunderstanding of data, a huge misunderstanding of what is assessed and how it's assessed. But I have to tell you, hey, thank you learning loss uh, at least for two or three years of good old-fashioned yeah. pumping money into our schools. We can focus on the whole child now. <laughs> right, <Yeah>. and, and <laughs> helping us address things yeah. that we knew we were challenged by um, where the schoolhouse was cracked um, uh, before. Yeah. Uh, you know, overall, I think, um, you know, you're, you're making two huge points. What are we measuring mm -hmm. uh, in the first place? How are we sure that what we're measuring is actually informing us? And B, what really, really matters? If, if other schools are going to begin to compete with the public school um, from, and I don't, I don't want, this is not insulting one bit or the other, uh, private schools, uh, charter schools, online programs, none of those are a threat to me as somebody who's a career uh, public educator. But in my sphere, can we take a step back right now and look at what we really want the kids to know and be able to do? And the truth of the matter is, is that uh, you've seen me try to tutor pre-algebra students, and I have to find other students to help students. For context, <laughs> yeah. Brett taught history, business, <laughs> right. uh, it, it pedagogically very sound, yeah. but I would not ask him to do my taxes. Right. <laughs> but that being said, um, I don't know that a mastery of, of every thing that we're measuring um, that a seventh grader, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth grader is something that they have have to master. Right now, I think COVID has, to bring it back to the question you've asked me, revealed, help us like at least face the fact that we do have uh, self-harm issues, mm -hmm. um, that we do have um, students who who are, are hurting and they're coming into our schools and, and oftentimes students that are hurting are hurting other kids. How many times have you heard the term bullying? We've got a, a podcast set up in, in the future about what is bullying mm -hmm. and how schools uh, deal with and handle that. What's the community responsibilities there? 
But the point of the matter is, what do I want a student to know and be able to do? I want them to be able to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. I want them to wonder and be curious and have the academic skills to follow up on wonder right. and curiosity. And I'm not so sure that COVID can be blamed uh, for every deficiency that we might perceive. Absolutely, I'd agree. I, as as public educators, you know, I can't speak for the nation, obviously, of public educators, but in the in the organizations I've worked with and over my career, I, I have always had an existential guilt that we are failing students by not focusing on skills beyond core academics. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I see, as somebody with a mental health background, COVID as a, as a blessing in disguise, is it has helped us prioritize uh, emotional well-being and the skills we help students build at a young age that, that allow them to do that. You know, and I've said from, from personal observation, I, I think this is going to be the most resilient generation in adulthood we've seen in, in many years, far more resilient than your, than our generation. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's, I think that leads me to, to my tale from the trenches. Um, so folks, what do you, what does that mean to you? Students, what does that mean to you? Uh, that, what that means is no one understand what you're learning and know what you really care about and what you value. Uh, if your student, you know, if you're just checking grades, Ask those deeper questions about, well, why do you have a C? Maybe the curriculum's really tough. Maybe that, that teacher's one of those less grace teachers on, on, on timeliness, and your student really needs to focus in that area about prioritizing their homework or their, or their bell work or whatever it is in that place. Find out what it is that really matters in their learning and really help them find value in the parts of their school and their education that they love and make sure that the school is able to nurture and support those things and that, that, that you're helping them find those passions and learning. So, I'm sorry, before you get into yeah. your tell from the trench, the, the thing I want to add to that, and I know it's something that you're very passionate about and something we have in common, is that it, when you're asking those questions about the schoolwork or the assessment, and teachers, when you're creating these opportunities, you know, it's something I've always asked myself, like, what am I actually assessing? So when I assign, like, a group project, for example, am I, am I assessing their ability to understand the, comp uh, the content, put it into something presentable, and then demonstrate critical thinking towards application for something else? Or am I assessing their ability to work collaboratively, to organize, to communicate effectively, and ultimately, if they don't have those foundational skills, I'm never going to get to my ability to accurately assess their content knowledge, application, and critical thinking. Yeah. And so that's something we, we both have been very passionate about is, is starting with those more foundational skill sets that are not tied to the curriculum, are not tied right. to the content, and something parents that, that you can definitely help with at home. You know, we talk about time management and organization. That's a skill set that has application across all content areas. Or how to yeah. ask a tough question of a peer. Yeah, absolutely. Raise your hands out there. Go ahead, everybody. If your child or you have come home and be like, I got a terrible grade because my group sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and, but, and I mean, how some of us will email a teacher or call the teacher or say, yeah. you got to go talk to the teacher. Yeah. Well, how many of us have really, at schools or at home, have really worked on the tough conversation? We talked about teachers being yeah. able to have tough conversations with with their community. Yeah. Well, it all begins when you're in seventh grade. Yeah. How do you address a peer who might be yeah. be letting the group do everything and not do their role? And, and like we talked about in last episode, that's a skill you learn over time through practice. Mm -hmm. And so if you can begin to practice that skill as a seventh grader, eighth grader, ninth grader, tenth grader, mm -hmm. imagine your ability to have tough conversations and address conflict as an adult in a meaningful Abs way. Abs so I know that was a sidetrack, but it, I, it was just an opportunity to talk about something that I think is just foundational to we jump straight to learning loss as an academic deficit 
but I still will argue that that deficit starts with foundational skills that are non-academic. Yeah, and my, my little tale from the trenches is, is, is just twofold. It's, it's two tales. Uh, the first one is, is when we came back to school um, in hybrid form or without kids, and we, we all spent that year where students we were out six weeks or maybe an entire year. Um, it was an unbelievably stressful time. At the other end of it, 100% of my staff increased their technology skills and their communication <laughs> skills and their planning skills mm -hmm. by 200 to 400%. Yeah. So and we finally got over the, the technology hump. Yeah, yeah, we did. We yeah. had to. Like, we, people, you've heard me say, the only reason why people change is because they're inspired or they have a problem. Mm -hmm. We have a real problem. We had to go to synchronous learning or asynchronous learning or blended learning. And, and adults and kids did learn new skills, skills that are often used in what we call industry that we don't use often in school. And everybody got a crash course in adaptability, flexibility, technology, communication. There was a lot of growth for your teachers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm sure you, you all have noticed that. Our teachers are more organized. Their curriculum is, is posted. Their, their activities are visible. Uh, classrooms are flipped. Not all places and all the time, but oh. it is so much more accessible to know what is, your child is being asked to learn and how they're being assessed than it was before. And teachers all across this country, have there's just not enough uh, bonus pay or pats on the back other than just to say, hey, you stepped up for your country in this mm -hmm. country for sure and did great things for kids in a really tough yeah. time and taught your kids something awesome about the, uh, the human spirit of the adult. Um, my last tale from the trenches is I got sick, as you know, at the end of this school year with an unexpected illness mm -hmm. and was uh, gone. Non-COVID. Non yeah, non-COVID related and, and gone for several weeks. And, and I, I came back to school with hundreds upon hundreds of handwritten uh, notes and, and just well wishes from mm -hmm. kids and adults. And sometimes we get bogged down in the fear of our neighbor and the fear of our society and what's going wrong with schools that we have, might have forgotten, folks, that there's a whole lot of human spirit out there. Mm. There's a whole lot of, of, of kids living healthy lives mm. with empathy, caring about others, dealing with tough circumstances in their lives, and still carrying on with a joyful disposition. So, hey, COVID and learning loss, I'm not so sure. Uh, we always have challenges yeah. that we need to meet, but I do have to say that there are real signs that uh, that the nation, uh, the United States, the, the the global sector, that people really know how to still kind of carry their heads and then Absolutely. carry a tough load. I, I would I would say, and I think I'm I'd be speaking for both of us, is I'm more hopeful um, than not. Yeah. Like I think it's easy to. Uh, be negative coming out of all this and really look for what's going wrong. I, I'm more hopeful. I think priorities have shifted in a positive way, a, as told in your story. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to prioritize the right things in the right balance between growing great young human beings and teaching them high-quality material. Absolutely. And so I, I think we're finally finding some balance. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's a, it's 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 a crack, and it's uh, the foundation is yeah. solid. We're moving yeah. forward. Yeah, absolutely. So as always, thank you for tuning in to Schoolhouse Cracked. Uh, I am with Mr. Brett Derrickson. And my good friend, Dr. Marcus Motor Chandler. So be sure to like us on Facebook, subscribe to our channel on YouTube, find us on all those popular podcast channels that you find your favorite podcasts on, and be sure to tune in to our next episode. We are really getting into the heart of a new school year, and we're going to have a back-to-school episode. Yeah, please challenge our ideas, get out there, share your thoughts, your experiences, your tales from the trenches, our goal for uh, the future of this podcast is to be able to leave our tales from the trenches behind and acknowledge um, families and kids and teachers out there who are listening, who are, who are sharing with us. So please uh, take some time and, and, and respond to anything that you, um, that you need us to discuss. Thoughts, comments, parents, students, teachers, send them to schoolhousecracked at gmail.com. Thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful day.